Good morning. Woohoo. Hello, microphone. Nice to see you this morning. Um, we are so glad to have you. It is going to be an awesome day in the Lord, and there's so much good stuff that's happening. Starting with this class right now, uh, Barrett, come on up and join us today. We're talking about the nature of God, and uh, Barrett's going to be teaching the discipleship class, and it's going to be great. Enjoy. Thank you. Welcome. Good morning. We're going to be continuing on with the discipleship class that we've been having. And as Brian said, this is going to be on the nature of God. And so I'm just going to start reading because it's really good. To have a positive relationship with the Lord, we must know his nature and his real character. Is he angry because of our sin? Or is he a merciful God who wants to give us his life and blessing independent of our performance? The scriptures actually give us two different views of God, not that he has ever changed or done anything differently. There is a period of time that in the terminology used in the Bible, God held man's sins against them. Now this can be compared to raising children. When they're very young, it isn't possible to reason with them, to tell them why they should act properly or why they shouldn't be selfish and to take toys away from the brothers and sisters. They have to be told the rules, and if they break them, they have to be disciplined. The rules have to be enforced, even though they don't know about God and the devil, or that they're giving place to the devil when they are selfish. They may not understand the concepts, but they can understand that if they repeat the action, they will be punished. In a sense, that's what the Lord did in the Old Testament. Before people were born again, they didn't have the spiritual perception we have under the new covenant. So we had to give laws and enforce them with punishment, sometimes even death, to deter them from sin. Because Satan was destroying people through their sin, there had to be restraints placed on sin, and they had to be enforced. Although this left the false impression that God didn't really love us because of our sin, that is not what the word of God teaches. Romans 5.13 says, Until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Until the law means that until the days of Moses, when God gave the Ten Commandments and other ceremonial laws that applied to the Jewish nation. Up until that time, up until that time, sin was in the world, but was not imputed. And see, at that point, I was like rereading and rereading to un try and understand what impute meant. And then I should have just kept reading because it explains it right here. But the word impute is a bookkeeping. I did this to George, actually, and it was not a fun game. But the word impute is a bookkeeping term. Ergo, you go to the store to buy something and say, put it on my tab. When it is put on your tab, it is recorded and charged against your account, and the purchase is imputed to you. If they fail to impute it, that means it wasn't recorded and held against you. This verse is saying that until the time the Ten Commandments came, sin was not being held against people. And that's an amazing statement. Look at Genesis 3 and 4. And really with this, I remember being in church all the time and hearing that anyone before the Ten Commandments was just dead and went to hell, basically. I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense because that's not God. But you look at Genesis 3 and 4. 
most people have the concept that when Adam and Eve sinned against God because he was holy and man was now sinful, he could have nothing to do with, this, with sinful mankind. They think God drove man out of the garden to remove him from his presence because a holy God couldn't have anything to do with an unholy man. And if you guys remember from last week, as Jeff taught us, that's not at all the case. God had, man had to leave the garden because he couldn't eat of the tree of life. If he ate of the tree of life, he would have lived in that sinful nature, continuously separated from God. They further think that until you clean up your act through right actions, God once again cannot have any relationship with you. That is contrary to the message that Jesus brought. Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love toward you. And while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. So the New Testament teaches that God extended his love to you while you were living in sin, not after you have cleaned up your act. One of the great truths of the gospel that will change your life is to understand that God loves you just like you are. He loves you so much that if you receive his love, you won't want to stay as you are. You will change, but you'll change as a byproduct of God's love, not in order to get his love. In Genesis 4, you can see that God was still fellowshipping with man, still talking with Adam and Eve even after they sinned. He talked with Cain and Abel, and when they came to offer sacrifices to him, he spoke to them in an audible voice. By their reactions, we can see that they were accustomed to hearing his voice, and it did not scare them. When Cain killed his brother Abel and became the first murderer on the earth, God's audible voice came, to he came from heaven. Where is your brother Abel? Cain lied to God, seemingly without compunction. That can only happen if a person is so used to hearing the voice of God that they take it for granted and have no fear of it. All this says is that God was still fellowshipping with mankind and had not broken fellowship as is commonly believed. He was not imputing or recording man's sins to him. Does that mean that he condoned their sins or that they were not wrong? No, that's the reason he eventually gave the law. God had to give the law to bring man back to a proper standard. God had to show man that he needs a savior and that he has to humble himself and receive forgiveness as a gift. But sadly, religion has manipulated and controlled these things to teach that the law was given so that you can keep it and thereby earn God's forgiveness and acceptance. No. The purpose of the Old Testament law was to magnify your sin to such a degree that you would despair of ever, ha of ever saving yourself and say, God, if this is your standard of holiness, I can't do it. Forgive me, have mercy on me, because the overall nature of God has always been love, which I think is so stinking cool. Gosh. Okay, so I need some volunteers because we have some questions, and I am not at all above just picking people who don't raise their hands. Ask Kristen. I do it to her a lot in youth. So I need somebody to please read Romans 5.13. Anyone? Anyone? JD! Romans 7.7. 7. Priscilla, could you please read Romans 7.7? 7, 7? Galatians 3.24. I'll call you up in just a second. Hey, Abby, will you read Galatians 3.24, please? And then John 3.34.
Jeff. Okay. Then we'll do the other five in a moment. So, JD, if you could please come up. Sorry to make you sit back down and then have you stand back up. It's like the hokey pokey here in church. Yes, sir. Romans 5, 13 says, Yes, people sinned even, even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was no because there was not yet any law to break. Cool. Uh, so the question is, what does the word impute mean? I'm sorry. My mind is spaced on me for a second. No, you're good. Um, what does the word impute mean? Impute was the word that um, we had defined in the beginning of what God was doing to sin before the law came, or what God did with his sin after the law. No, you're good. Impute means to record and to charge to someone's account. Yes. But you're good. I appreciate you reading the verse. No, I'm sorry. You're doing great. Impute was one that I had to look up several, several, several different times to make sure that I understood it. So you're fine. <laughs> Romans 7, 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Okay, so the question was, what was the purpose of the law? So the people will be aware of their sin. Yeah, to make sin known. And then Galatians 3.24. Let me put into another way, the law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. Okay, so the question, and this is a tricky one, that's why I love you. Um, according to this verse, what was the purpose of the law? To protect us. Mm-hmm. And is there anything else? To lead us to Christ? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to show mankind their need of a Savior who was Jesus. Good job, right? <laughs> okay, um, if I could have... Oh, I skipped one. I'm sorry. I need somebody for John 8, 1 through 11. Okay, so John 8, 1 through 11 just to kind of save time, is um, the verse about the woman caught in adultery. And when she was caught, she was brought up before everybody, and they wanted Jesus to punish her. They wanted him to either uphold the law, which was to kill her, basically, or if he m showed mercy toward her, that would be him breaking the law. So if he broke the law, it meant that he was doing something sinful. And if he killed her, he killed her. So basically, it's a rock and a hard place for Jesus, which, as we've taught here before, is a pressurized situation. So what Jesus did is he showed mercy on her. He waited and waited until he heard what the Father said, because Jesus never did anything unless he heard the Father say it and until the Father told him what to do. So God, that's, that's an example of the character of God and how much love he has, is that he was going to wait and wait until, she, until the proper moment so that she could experience his love to the fullest extent, so that she could experience that mercy and that reconciliation back to who actually loved her. 
So that's it, the nature and character of God. Okay, so now I need John 3, 4, or 3, 34. This is really small text, so. Sure, sure. No, I got it. Um, <laughs> yes, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the spirit without limit. Okay, so did Jesus' words and actions reflect the true nature of God? His words and actions? Most certainly, because yes, he only did what the Father did. Yes, sir. It was an easy one. And so I now need someone for First John 4 through 8. Hey, Seth, will you do that one? Thank you. Um, I need someone for Romans 5, 6, uh, 1 John 4, 8. Deb, will you do Romans 5, 6? And I need someone for Romans 5, 8. Hey, Kristen, will you do Romans 5, 8? <laughs> Thank you. And Nicole, if I could have you do Romans 5, 10. There, it's up right there for you if you need it. But anyone who does not know love does not know God, for God is love. According to this verse, what is the true nature of God? Love. Yes. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Can I read five through ten? No, I'm kidding. Can I? I really want to. All right, Romans 5, 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. God's love was directed toward us when we were what? Sinners. Yes. Hey, Kristen, come on down. Romans 5, 8 says, But God determinates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Okay, so God loved us while we were what? While we were bad people or sinners. Yeah, while we were bad people or sinners. And then Miss Nicole. Romans five ten. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So you're going to catch a pattern here. God loved us while we were what? Bad people and sinners. Yes. <laughs> okay, so the last question is, if you asked Jesus Christ, I don't know why I needed that microphone too, if you asked Jesus Christ, Oh, bless me. Um, to forgive you and be your Savior and Lord, trusting Jesus' sacrifice as payment for your sin, would God show you his true nature of mercy and grace? Yes. Because that's who he is. I mean, the last however many questions in here are all God is love. And I think that Pastor Brian said it before that you could take God is love and meditate on it and meditate on it and meditate on it and never be able to come to the end of what that means because his love is so big and he just, that's all he feels toward you, <coughs> which is really cool. And that's it. I'm, I'm short today. So do you want me to close in prayer? Yes, I can expound on Okay.
Brian would like you to pull up Hebrews 1.3. Throwing you for a curveball, Roger. Want me to read it, sir? Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so Hebrews 1.3 says, And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of, our, of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And I'm actually going to read it in the NLT, just because that's the version that I read from when I'm teaching with the kids on Thursday. So while Roger puts it up, I'll start reading. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. So basically what this verse is saying is that the very character of God, the very character of God was made manifest in Jesus. That in everything that Jesus was, was God, was his glory, was his love, was his power, was his might. And so while he was here on the earth, all, everything he did, every miracle he did, every action that he did, everything he said, everything he thought was from God. And so not only is that awesome, but the character of God that you can see in Jesus is love toward mankind. Everything he did, from feeding the 5,000 to raising people back to life, from healing the sick, from helping the poor, everything was love. And everything was done by the power of God that came through him, that power that we have from Jesus. Because it says that when he had cleansed us from our sins by his death, when he came and hung on the cross, when he had done everything that God told him to do, which included being put on that cross to die for us, that was done so that we would be cleansed and would be whole and would be made perfect along with him through our relationship with Jesus. And that when he was done, he just sat down because he was done all he needed to do there was no more work that needed to be done from us to get to him jesus had done everything and that's what god wanted god never wanted for us to have to work to get to him see if jesus is the very character of god and he's the very nature of god jesus never made the people work to get to him he just threw his love at them because of how much he loved him so if that's who god is then it's done for us how cool is that to think that God just wanted to do everything for us so that all we need to do is a relationship? That's all we need to have is a relationship and a belief that God is our dad, our savior, that Jesus is risen, that he lives. Mm, that's so cool that Jesus is sitting because he doesn't have to worry about getting us to heaven, because he doesn't have to worry about anything else being finished, because he doesn't have to worry or fix or heal. Not that he ever did, but everything is done. There's no work left to get us to God except for our believing on him. That's who he is. That's who he is. Stink. That's really cool. Any other verses or questions or... So uh, what's good about this verse is we're talking about the nature of God. 
And I've had many people over the time, matter of fact, I can remember one conversation that I had where somebody said, um, I like Jesus, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament. And so they'll, you know, well, they're one and the same. When you see who Jesus is, you see that he is the exact representation of God. Now, the difference was because of his own word and not being able to break it, there were some boundaries between God and man before Jesus came. But what God was always pointing to was who Jesus was and what was manifested through Jesus. I've heard Andrew say it this way is, Uh, The Old Testament is still a picture of God, but it's not the only picture of God. And this is a very important statement. It's not the complete picture of God. The complete picture of God is found in Jesus. So you see bits and pieces of God in the Old Testament, and what you really see is his holiness. And what we as New Testament believers should get out of that is, God's holiness is so high that we should revere him and esteem him in a way that matches the holiness that we know about him, but we don't have to fear and fret because of his grace and mercy really longs to connect with us. And even in, uh, with Moses, what I love uh, that I saw over in, um, I think it's Exodus or Numbers, but when they were going to the mountain and the people said, you go talk to God for us. And Moses said, no, he's showing you this so that you will basically esteem him, but he wants you to come and be a part of him the same way that I am. In other words, God wants you to experience the glory like I'm experiencing the glory. So that's been God's heart the whole time. And this verse really speaks a lot. And I, I, I saw Andrew really pull out this verse, although it's not in this lesson here, where it says, look, he, Jesus is the complete picture. So if you ever have a question, what's the heart of God? Where is he moving? How's he, you know, what's he up to? You look at Jesus and you'll see the completion. And that story that you were telling them about the adulterous woman, you really see uh, where I love that story. And that's where God really started showing me some stuff about his mercy and grace because I'll see the church say, no, you can't come in here because you're not dressed right. No, you can't come be a part of us because you're not holy yet. Uh, You're a sinner. And yet you see in Jesus, it's when you were a sinner that he came and made a way for you. It's when you were helpless. It's when you were enemies that he came. So this is the nature of God. And then you see in that, he says, look, you come to me while you're broken. I'm not going to accuse you. I'm going to give you love, and that will empower you now to go and sin no more. But we've said you go and sin no more, then you can come back. So we've had it flipped in religion but in the reality of who God is. And if we are the body of Christ, then we're one with him. Who we should be is that same exact representation and nature of God that's moving in the love of God and the complete picture of who he is, not just, not just the Old Testament version alone. That's a piece, that's a bit, but it's not everything. And so we really see that in Jesus. So do you have anything else on that? I mean, while you were while you're talking about that, what kept, keeps coming up in my head is in different churches that I've been in, it's the church shows has shown a side of Jesus and a side of God 
just like the Old Testament showed a version of who Jesus is. And I think that a lot of churches, unfortunately, cling to that same harshness because they see rules and structures, and it's great that they can build their church upon them. But they'll see different things that are hurting society, different, like in Baltimore, the stuff that's going on in Baltimore. I have seen, I don't know how much this week, different people clinging to the police are correct, or this guy was wrong, or the, and they'll just see right or wrong, right or wrong, without actually seeing love is need to be given here. And they don't, it's, the full heart of God is, I think, sometimes missed because they'll just see a picture of Jesus or a picture of who God is and not understand the completion of him in Jesus. Because if they saw the completion of who Jesus was, Jesus isn't somebody to go out and condemn someone. Even when he flipped the tables over in the temple, it was still never about condemning those people. It was about stopping sin, but still bringing them back to God. It's always about stopping sin, but so often, unfortunately, people experience the counteraction of that, and they'll experience being pushed away from God until they can somehow fix themselves, which is just really backwards. And it's not at all who God is, because God always wants to draw people to himself. He's always looking, no matter the circumstances, the person, the situation, he's just always looking for a way to bring people closer to him, as Andrew says in there, so that eventually they'll change, not because they have to, not because he's making them, but because they understand the fullness of his love and how deep that is and you can't help it it's just something that ends up happening and many times you see people setting doctrine or even how we run church based off of old testament picture of god you know and all these things that you have to do you know doop 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 and there's a piece that we should pull from that but it's not the complete picture that's right. found in Christ so without Christ you really shouldn't be examining any of that and I see people setting up oh well this is absolute you got to do it this way because I read it somewhere in the Old Testament well that may have been fulfilled and you have to examine that and you have to go back into the word and examine what was the fullness of who God was as seen through Jesus before we take uh, the Old Testament as an absolute way to do it today in a New Testament church. It doesn't mean that that was wrong. It just meant that that was a picture of something that needed to be fulfilled, and it was probably fulfilled. A majority of it was. There's still some principle there that's very important. Huge. And don't don't get me wrong. Huge. Ten Commandments. Huge. Yeah. You know, esteeming God. Huge. But you've got to balance it with who Jesus is so that you can see the complete picture. You could look at Jesus and see the complete picture without looking at the Old Testament. I'm not saying you should do that. Don't misquote me. That you shouldn't do that uh, alone, but you could. You could look at Jesus and see the complete nature of him. That's what this verse says. And so as we're establishing what to do, how to live, you know, rules to live by in our life, Jesus is where the answer is at. So, yeah. amen. Good job. Thank you. Finish. Okay, so I'm just going to close this out in prayer as we get ready for this morning. God, just thank you for how much you love us. Thank you for who you are. God, just let us understand the weight of those words. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that your heart, that your very nature is love. That every part of what you think, what you do, and what you desire is love. God, there's no fear in that because your perfect love casts out all fear. God, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you that we get to have a relationship with you and that 
from the beginning, from the development of the earth, from Adam, your desire and your intention was to just have a relationship with us. That's been your number one priority, and thank you for that. Thank you that today we get to have that relationship with you without any boundaries, without anything prohibiting us. God, just thank you so much. God, I just, I just pray that your love is not only known here today, but that your love is known all over this country today. That today your love will be experienced in every church in America regardless of denomination, regardless of who's preaching, that your love and who you are is made known today, that your love will be injected into places that just seem hopeless. God, we lift up Baltimore to you today. I don't think it's a coincidence that you had me mention it. God, I thank you that your light and your love is being shined there today and that the people in that situation will come to know you because you are already working that situation for your good. You are already working to bring people to you. God, just thank you that today there will be a wave of your love that will sweep across this country, that will influence your people, that will draw people back to you because that's what your heart is, that's what your desires are. God, just thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that you are always loving on us, never angry with us, never wanting change for us so that we can come to you, but rather wanting change for us so that we can love you more. God, you're so good, and we love you so much. Thank you for today. Be with us as we get ready for the service here in a little bit, and we love you. In your name, amen. Amen. Get ready for the 11 o'clock.